All right, today's an exciting day because we are going to be dreaming about the future. How many dreamers do we have in the room? You love thinking and dreaming about what God wants to do. I am a dreamer, and today I'm excited to get just to give you a glimpse of what we believe God is calling us to. Now, if you were at our annual business meeting a few weeks ago, um, you saw a very small glimpse of everything that we're going to unpack today. Um, And if you were not in the business meeting, you picked a great day to be in church. And so uh, we're going to get started in this without delay. I want to jump into the message today. From day one, when I became pastor here at JFA, I truly believe that God called me to do something here. I believe that God called us as a church to do something. You've heard me say it time and time again, that we as a church, I believe, are called to create a culture in here that impacts our community out there. We as a church are not supposed to be a social club. We're we're not just a social gathering. We're not just a group of people that get together to study the word of God. We're not just a church to get together and sing a few songs. We as a church are the body of Christ and we are commissioned, we are called by our Lord and Savior to go out and to make a difference into the community in which we live. In short, we're called to take the kingdom of God into the community that we live in. When Jesus started to preach the gospel very early in his ministry, you can go read about it in Matthew 4, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And what Jesus was teaching and saying is, look, I'm here. Everything now can be different in your life. In fact, when Jesus taught us to pray, he even said, pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is trying to show us is this, is that when he died for the sins of humanity and he rose again, we have access to God for the very first time since Adam and Eve fell in the garden of Eden. And you have fellowship and you have relationship with God because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you as believers. And so when I say that I believe God has called us to create a culture that impacts a community, we are simply doing what Jesus told us to do. We are going out into the world, we're making disciples, we're spreading his message, we're doing and the very things that he called us to do. We're living the way God called us to live. A Christian's lifestyle should be radically uh, contrasted to that of a non-believer. And when Christians are living the way God called them to do, it should radically impact every single individual they come in contact with. Why? Because we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the bearers of his image. We have his word inside of our heart. And when we are living out what Jesus has called us to live out, it should make a difference in the lives of those that we come in contact with. We see this principle of culture impacting the community in the book of Acts. When you read about the first Christians, what you see is that those believers in Jesus Christ had faith. They were the first church, and everywhere they went, they made a difference for the kingdom of God. And the, the, the verse that anchors this for me, the verse that's the heartbeat for what I believe God has called us to do is in Acts chapter number 8. And if you would, please stand with me this morning. I want to read it to you. Acts chapter number 8. We're going to start in verse number 4. Acts chapter number eight, verse number four. We stand for the reading of God's word because we believe it's living, it's active. Acts eight, verse four through verse eight says this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, 
For unclean spirits, crying out in a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Jesus, just as you took the word to these people in Samaria, and there was great joy. God, I pray that we would be bearers of your word. Lord, we'd be bearers of your image. Lord, we would be people that go out into this community, and Lord, that we would spread your good news. We would take your kingdom to the, our neighbors, to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers. And Lord, I pray that there would be great joy in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Fun fact. I've read this verse to you several times since I've been your pastor, and we have these posters up in the foyer. If you were to go out today and you look at the, the, uh, the poster over here that says that we value the word of God, and you look at it, this is the verse that you're going to see in that poster. Uh, you're going to see that because that is my Bible, and that is on my table, and that's where that picture was taken. This is the verse that just stuck in my heart before I ever even came here. This is the verse that I believe God led me to and said, Whatever, wherever I go, that I pastor, I want us to be a church that takes the word of God into that community and that there's great joy in that community. What you see about the first believers, about the first Christians, is that everywhere they went, they stirred up the whole city, they stirred up the whole community, that people were changed. It wasn't just a little isolated incident. In fact, many times the apostles were arrested and they were accused for stirring up the whole region of people. So we as believers, we're not called to just isolated little pockets here and there. We're called to make a difference inside of this community. And that's exactly what I believe God is calling our church to do. Now, some backstory for what's happening in this passage. After Jesus is crucified and he rises from the dead, he appears to the disciples over a period of 40 days and the Bible tells us that he appears over 500 people, the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus told the disciples that he was returning to the Father in heaven. But they were to wait for the Holy Spirit to descend upon them. And that the disciples did just that. They went and they began to pray. And then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls on the believers and the church is commissioned and the church is launched. And these believers do something amazing. They start telling everyone about Jesus, and people are saved, and they're healed, and they're delivered from bondage, and they're set free, and they're filled with the Spirit of God, and their lives are changed, and instantly, from going from the church went from 120 in an upper room to over 5,000 in almost overnight, and church, that could happen here. If we as believers live in such a way that we take the Word of God serious, and we apply it to our life, there's no telling what God can do. God was on the move in their life. However, not everybody was excited about that. The religious leaders of that day were angry at what these disciples were doing. And the Bible says a great persecution breaks out against the church. One day, the religious leaders are stirred up, and they're angry at a particular disciple named Stephen. Stephen was actually a deacon he was the leader of the church. The Bible says he was a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he preaches a sermon. And by the end of that sermon, this crowd is so angry at him, they literally pick up stones, and they start to throw it at Stephen, and they kill him. And on that day, Stephen died under severe persecution, and a severe persecution, the Bible says, broke out against the whole church, and many leaders were forced to flee from Jerusalem. One of those leaders was Philip. He was forced to flee from Jerusalem, from his own town, and he went to Samaria. 
Philip was also a deacon, which is ironic because apparently it was very hard to be a deacon in the first century church, right? You get stoned or you get forced out of your house, all right? So if you want to be a deacon at church, just know those could be the, those could be the outcomes of that. And so very quickly, what you see, though, is that Philip goes and starts telling people about Jesus. He, he flees from his home. He goes to Samaria. And here's the thing I want you to see. Even though the church was under attack, the church never lost sight of the vision. The persecution that they were facing was peripheral noise next to what Jesus called them to do. And so Philip goes to Samaria. He starts to tell them about what God has done for them, and a move of God breaks out in that town, and people are saved, they're healed, they're delivered, and they're set free. And here's what I want you to see. The reason why there was joy in that city was because God was bringing a kingdom culture to their life, and it was impacting them, and it was changing everything. You have to understand the spiritual condition of Samaria. Before Philip showed up, before the kingdom culture got there, the enemy was winning in people's lives. What does it look like when the enemy is winning in someone's life? They're lost and they're broken. They're in bondage to sin. They're in bondage to all the different spiritual attacks on their life. They're sick. They don't have hope. There's no answers to the questions of life. They don't have the, the resources to get out on their own. But then Philip comes in one day and he brings the word of God. And now God showed up. And these people for the first time saw freedom and they saw hope. They experience salvation and deliverance. It's safe to assume that when all of these things started coming up, there was great joy in the city. Their marriages must have been better. Their kids must have started acting different. It must have been an amazing sight to see. And the Bible says there was great joy in the city. You know what our town needs. You know what our country needs. You know what our county needs. You know what our state needs. We need some joy. We need some joy of the Lord to come in and start to fill up people's lives. If you look at your social media feed, if you look at the news, you know what we're lacking in this country? We're lacking joy. We have a lot of things to get stirred up about, a lot of things that make us angry. But what people need is they need hope. They need joy. And true joy can only come when you know who Jesus Christ is. We believe that's what God's called us to live out, is this kingdom culture. This kingdom culture. You've probably heard me talk about this a lot, but if you haven't, let me define for you what a culture is. A culture is what you value and what you do. What you value leads to what you do, and what you value and what you do becomes who you are. I'll tell you a pet peeve of mine. Do you want to know it? Pet peeve of mine is this. There are people in the public eye that they, they do terrible things. They sin. Maybe they, they do all kinds of things. We've all seen it. I won't even start picking ideas. Then they get up on TV and they say, look, yes, I did this, but that's not who I am. It's not who I am. Now, the truth is what we do is a reflection of who we are. That's our culture. And I'm not trying to pick on people because we've all done bad things. And that's who we were. We were sinners. That's what the Bible makes abundantly clear. There's a scripture where Paul starts to lay out all these different sins, all the bad things you could have done. And he said, and that's what some of you were. But that's not who we are anymore. So your culture is what you believe plus what you do that equals who you are. And we believe that God has called us to value, to believe, to devote ourselves to five things. 
These are phrases that I say all the time, and maybe you've been here for a while, and you don't know why I say these things. Let me tell you, because these are, these are values that we hold ourselves to. These are values we devote ourselves to. These are values that dictate how the staff operates, how we dream, how we plan, how we work. Let me share them with you. You've seen them up in our walls. We value the Word of God. At the end of the day, you can build your life on your experiences, you can build your life on your ideas, you can build your life on what you see, or you can build your life upon the Word of God. Let me tell you, this is a solid rock. It will offend you from time to time. It will say things that you don't like. It will say things that challenge your assumptions and your beliefs. But let me tell you what else it will do. It will also give you the words of life. It will tell you how to get to heaven that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. It will tell you how to save your marriage. It will tell you how to raise your kids. It will tell you how to witness to your neighbor. It will tell you how to have joy and freedom in life. Why? Because this is God's speak. Where the word speaks, God speaks. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be built up and completely equipped for every good work. Listen. There is more value in this word than in a thousand bank vaults. It is more profitable because it's a love letter from the Father. It's the instruction manual for the, from the Creator, and it's a roadmap to the traveler. This is the literal word of God. We value fellowship that's void of performance. We value this idea that we can worship God and we can have fellowship with God. John 4, starting in verse 23, Jesus speaking, it says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is not distant. He's not out there. He's among us. And he lives inside of us. The Bible tells us that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God is with you and his presence is with you. And God wants fellowship with you through worship. What does that mean? It means not having some sort of meeting with God. It means that we're in relationship with God where we're living out his agenda. We're living out his plan, his purpose for our life. And this fellowship is not performance-based. You don't have to catch the attention of God. You had the attention of God 2,000 years ago when Jesus came and died on a cross. You already have God's attention. Now it's just walking in fellowship with him. To worship in spirit, as Jesus said, is to have access to God. And you have access to God because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. To worship in truth means I worship according to the pattern of the word. And when I do that, I know that God is with me. We value being spirit-led, which is a lifestyle blessing. Romans 8, 9 says this. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Scripture indicates as soon as you give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you make that decision to die to the old man or woman and start living for Jesus, that God places his spirit inside of you. You become a temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with you every single day. And what that should mean is that my life should be different than it was before. Now that God is with me, my actions, my lifestyle, the steps I take should be different. There should be a new pattern in my life. People should see that God is inside of me. What does it mean to be spirit-led? What does this concept look like? 
It means being sensitive to what God wants you to do at any moment of the day. Maybe you're walking through Walmart and you feel just a sensitivity. Maybe I should talk to this person. Maybe you're going through the drive-thru and you feel a sensitivity to pay for someone behind you. Maybe it's a sensitivity to go pray for someone. Maybe it's a sensitivity to leave a big tip for the waitress. Or maybe it's a sensitivity to be kind to a stranger. What you see is when Jesus talked about loving our neighbors, he used the example of the Good Samaritan. You all know the story very well. The Good Samaritan saw a man in the ditch, half dead, and what does the Bible say? He met his needs. And I truly believe if we want to be spirit-led, it's more about what happens out there than what happens right here. This is important, but this doesn't necessarily impact anybody out there. And what you see Jesus calling us to do and what you see the early church did was that they were spirit-led, not just in the church, but they were spirit-led in the marketplace. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to, to spur our hearts every single day that we're alive to make a difference. Sometimes being spirit-led isn't just for your neighbor, it's for your family. We need to be spirit-led in our homes. Sometimes your kids are acting bad and you want to blow up on them. The Holy Spirit says, hang on, throw on the brakes. Sometimes you want to argue with your wife. Holy Spirit says, hold on, throw on the brakes. Sometimes you feel like you should spend a little extra money and the Holy Spirit says, hold on. Put on the brakes. Maybe you're like, I don't want to pray today. And the Holy Spirit's like, yes, you do. You need to pray today. You need to read your word because you aren't going to make it without me. That's being spirit-led. We value family. So welcome to our family. Romans 8, 12, and 15 says, So, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is everything we just talked about, dying to the old man, living a new life, the Spirit taking up residence in your heart. Verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a son or daughter to Jesus, to the Father God. Jesus is like your big brother in heaven. There's a lot of scripture talking about this, how we become co-heirs with Christ. And he's not ashamed to call us brothers. We're the children of God, and that makes you and me family. You're stuck with me. That's what that's saying. I mean, you have that weird family member. You're like, man, I got a weird family member. That could be me now, right? It could be me. <laughs> so he says, I'm seeing him. He's right there, right? We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And that you, what you see of the first church is this beautiful picture of how they were in one another's homes and they were sharing with one another's needs. All of us need a second spiritual family. We need a spiritual support system. We need brothers and sisters helping us and holding us accountable. We need brothers and sisters that we can serve. Last thing is we value the next generation of believers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has called us and commissioned us to go make the next generation of believers. It's not about us four no more. It's about having a living, active lifestyle where we're looking for the lost and we're telling them about the hope that saved us. How many of you are thankful that somebody had the courage and the boldness to tell you about Jesus? 
I'm so thankful when I was in third grade that one of my friends said, why don't you come to church with me? Where would I be today if he had not invited me to Royal Rangers? Where would I be today if he had not taken the step of faith to say, you need to come with me? Listen, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of every man, woman, and child. It's a paraphrase, my paraphrase, of Romans 1.16. We have the power of God sitting at our fingertips to change people's lives. How dare we if we ever keep it from somebody? We got to share it with people. It's a hope for the broken marriage. It's a hope for the person thinking about taking their own life. It's the hope for the addict. It's the hope for the person that thinks they have it all together, but yet the fringes always seem to be coming apart. It's the hope for the person that thinks they're on the way to heaven because they grew up in the tradition of religion, but they never knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is the hope. Now listen, these are the values that we have dictated ourselves to and devoted ourselves to. And church, let me tell you something. We have seen the results of that. Were you here on the best day ever when there was over 400 people here? Why was that happened? Why were those people here? Because you invited somebody. Okay, I thought you'd be excited about that. <laughs> I'm losing my voice. I'm going to take a drink of water. Talk amongst yourselves. There are 400 people here because you invited them. You invited them. You remember when we blessed our friend Leela right down here who brought us a pizza so we could eat afterwards? That's being spirit-led. That's what it looks like when we are living according to our culture. There were people here at the Christmas experience and coming around, having a good time as a family, hearing the Christmas story that would never darken the door of a church, but yet they heard that there was a Jesus, that there was a Savior that loved them. You should be here on Wednesday nights, and you should see the hundreds of kids that are running around here on Wednesday nights. It's crazy. It's amazing to see. What is happening? That is the result, that is the effect of us living according to a set of values that we believe God has laid upon our hearts. So we can either keep living that way or we can stop. I just assume that we keep going, and I think you are too. God's concept of ministry works, and we've seen the fruit of that here. Preaching the gospel living according to the culture, devoting ourselves to that vision. When we stay faithful to that ourselves, to the vision of God, he is going to bring the increase in his timing. God controls that. The question that you and I have to answer is this, what do we do next? The answer is very simple. We need to create capacity for what God wants to bring, whatever God wants to do. We cannot control the increase that God wants to bring. We can't control how many people are here next Sunday. We can't control how many people are here on Wednesday night. We can't control how many people are going to come in a month. That's not our responsibility. The Bible makes it very clear. Paul said of the work of the ministry, he said that some plant the seed. He's speaking of the gospel message. Some plant the gospel message. Some people water it. There are people who come alongside of us and behind us, and they reinforce what we told people. He said, but God brings the increase. Then Paul says something very encouraging to us in the next verse. He said, those who plant and water, that's you and me, he said, we're nothing in this equation. We're like, thanks, Paul. Thanks for building my confidence. He said, we're nothing in this equation. 
God brings the increase. So if you ask me where are we headed as a church numerically, I will not give you an answer. You know why? Because God said that's not my responsibility. He didn't make me up here to start picking random numbers. What he said my responsibility was was to plant and to water. And our responsibility as a church is to get ready for whatever God wants to do. So when you look at the state of the church right now, when you look at our church, when you look around, what do we need to do? The answer is we need to create capacity. We need to create capacity for increase. You know how on Thanksgiving, I was thinking about this. You know how on Thanksgiving, or yesterday when I went to Chewy's, either one, right? Have you ever sat there and you're eating so much, you're like, man, I need to let the belt out another notch. Like, has that ever been you? I did that yesterday, eating Chewy's. We went, I ate two whole baskets of chips on my own with the creamy jalapeno sauce. If you've never been to Chewy's, you need to make a trip. It's good, ain't it? Thank you, brother. Thank you. I got a witness up here. You need to go to the Chewy's. You need to eat with the creamy jalapeno, all right, and the tortillas because they're homemade right there, okay? The lady's over there with a big stone, and she drops one off. When it comes back around, it's ready to go, and she throws it in the basket, and then you get to eat it. It's amazing. I ate so much of that, though, the belt needed to go out another notch. I needed another size of pants, or I needed to make capacity for what I was increasing, and that's a weird analogy to use in a message, but that's kind of what we need to do. We're busting at the seams, if you haven't noticed. We need to create some capacity for the growth that God wants to bring. Everything we've done to this point has brought us to a place of necessity. The growth has created a necessity, an environment of necessity, if you will, to expand our capacity. If you're at the business meeting, I read you a passage of Scripture, and I want to read it to you again. 2 Kings chapter number 4, starting in verse number 1, says this. It says, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. Then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of the vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And she poured, uh, but as she poured, they brought vessels to her. And when the vessel was full, she said to her sons, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. Now, we want to keep the word of God in context. So understand that as we read this, we need to look for principles. Here's the principles we need to see from this widow. She had a need in her life. Her husband had passed away with some debt to his name. And now the creditor was going to come take her son's and put them into forced labor in order to pay off his debt. Obviously, this mother is worried. She's scared. She runs to Elisha, and Elisha tells her, what, what do you have in your house that you can use to meet your need? And she says, I have a little oil. And he said, good. Go borrow a bunch of vessels. Start pouring that oil in there. When the oil stops flowing, come back and see me. And I believe this is a metaphor for what we need to be doing here. When we are faithful to God, he brings increase as long as we have capacity to. Let's just think practically. If we run out of seats, 
If we run out of parking spots, why would God keep bringing people here? Because we don't have anywhere to put them. We have to create capacity. You look around even this morning during flu season, there's not too many empty chairs in this room this morning. We're at a place where we need to increase capacity. And there are four areas that we need to grow. We need to increase capacity in 2020 if we're going to keep reaching more people. The first is this. We need more parking. How many of you found a parking spot this morning? Okay, most of you. How many of you did it? You're like, I parked in the grass or I was way out there. See all those? Yeah, I parked in the grass this morning. I don't know if you can see this picture very good. Let's try to throw this picture up. This is last Sunday. Our projector is not very good, so it's hard to see. But there are 21 cars that are not parked in parking spots. If you can see that, 21 cars are not parked in parking spots, and every parking spot is full. Now, if you're driving down the road and you look at our parking lot on a Sunday morning, do you see anywhere to park? No. Would you pull into our parking spot? No. You're going to keep going. It's amazing how many people are coming to our church, but we are out of parking. The best day ever, we filled our parking spot and Grand Savings Bank, and we still ran out. So if we're going to grow, we're going to bring any sort of increase. we got to add capacity to our parking. Here's something that every single one of us know in this room this morning. Parking is not about asphalt. Parking is about souls. Parking is about opportunity. The parking lot is all about opportunity. Because you never know when someone addicted is going to pull into a parking space to find freedom. You never know when someone at the end of the rope is going to park into that parking space and find purpose. You never know when a lost person is going to pull into a parking space and find Jesus. And if there's no parking space, we know that they're not going to stop. Parking is the most pressing issue of capacity that we have right now. And nothing can fix it except more parking. We need more space. We've already started putting out a couple bids for the parking lot. We're looking at a ballpark uh, estimate of around 60000 give or take a few thousand, one direction or the other, to increase the parking lot. It's going to add 16,000 square feet to the north side up here. Basically, our parking lot is just going to go almost all the way to the fence, all the way as close as we can, and still leave easement for the power poles. That's going to reseal and stripe, fix our existing parking lot, tie it all together, make it look really good. And our goal as a board is to start doing this at the first of the summer. It's a lot of money and a lot of time, but we truly believe that God has put us in this position where we have to do this and we have to do it quickly. We cannot wait around. And so our very first offering that we're going to be taking towards this is going to be March 1st. It's the very first Sunday of March, and we already have one matching donation of $10,000 for the month of March. And what that means is this. For every dollar you give uh, to up to $10,000, it becomes $2. So you give a dollar, that person's going to match that dollar. You give $100, that person's going to match $100 all the way up to $10,000, and we're believing God for the rest of the increase. Let me tell you what's going to happen. I believe this with all my heart. We're going to have a parking lot by the middle of the summer. Why? Because we need more space. We need some place to park. We need God to open up this parking so that people can stop there and they can actually come in and they can experience God's presence. They can hear God's word. They can pray with God at these altars. We need to increase our parking lot. Second thing is this. We need to increase our seating capacity. If you look around this morning, There is not very many places where there's a bunch of empty chairs sitting together. There's a one row there and one row right here. Apparently, nobody likes Mike and Marsha. I don't know what it is. (laughs) 
And brother and sister Loki, they're like, I don't want to sit over there either. I don't know what it is, all right? I'm just basking with you guys. We need to increase our seating capacity. You've heard this statistic thrown a lot around a lot. When a building reaches 80% seating capacity, it feels full. Here's why. Because no one likes to sit on top of each other, right? We might all be family, but we don't want to sit close. That's what it comes down to. So you walk into a room, and it's half full. It feels like a, it feels like a decent crowd. You walk into a room, it's 67% full. You're like, man, this is getting tight in here. And you hit 80%, you're like, I don't like these people enough to sit this close to them. Okay? That's what's going through our mind. And so it starts to feel cramped. So to increase our seating capacity, we're going to go to two services. March 29th, we're going to be launching two identical services on Sunday morning that you can come be a part of. And these two services, it's an opportunity that the Lord has brought to us because two services gives us the ability to grow way beyond where we're at. I don't know what the numbers are this morning, but last week we had 221 people here. Every parking spot was full and the crowd looked about like it did today. Two services, perhaps we could get to 400 people. Two services gives us room, it takes care of parking, it helps us with our bathrooms, it helps us with our children. All these things are taken care of with two services, but the biggest opportunity two services did does is it gives us more opportunities to add brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to read to you this passage again in Romans 8, 12, and 15. I read it a moment ago, let me read it again. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you have put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are a family. We are a spiritual family. And sometimes families have to make capacity to adopt and to grow their family. If you're, a, if you're a family and you take in a foster child or you take in an adopted child or even if you have another child, sometimes that means current siblings have to double up in a room in order to make room for the new brother and sister. Sometimes that, that means we have, to, we have to move things around a little bit to, be, to create space around the table for our new brothers and sisters. And two services as a church says to the community, there is space for you. You are always welcome to our table. We want you to be brothers and sisters with us in this house. That's what two services does. We have to make capacity in our parking. We have to make capacity in our services. The third area we've got to make capacity is we've got to make capacity in our leadership and in our discipleship. We said earlier that Jesus does not want us to make converts. He told us to make disciples. And we believe in 2020 that God is leading us to focus and grow in three areas of discipleship. The first is a men's ministry called the coalition. The second is a sisterhood. And the third is next steps. I was praying a lot about the leadership and the direction of discipleship in this church for the year of 2020. This basically, as soon as I got here, our church has a very successful history of connect groups. In fact, they're so successful that at the last break, there was one group that said, look, we're just not giving up. All right. We like each other too much. We're going to keep going together. And I thought, man, that's awesome. I got here. Uh, that group was still going. They asked me, can we keep going? Can we keep studying the Bible together? I was like, no, we don't like the Bible here. So stop studying. We, no, I'm just kidding. They're still going. Why? Because they love studying the Bible together and they love hanging out together and they're still going. 
And so I was praying, God, how do we, how do we approach this year with discipleship? And I was praying about connect groups. And I was praying about all these things. And what I could not get away from, my spirit could not get away from the idea that we need to focus on men in this church and in this community in this season. And my passion is, is to see this church have the strongest male leadership and discipleship of any church anywhere that you can ever find. Why is that? Because masculinity is under attack in our culture. Everywhere you look in every way that you can attack masculinity, it's under attack. And what you see is that's contrary to how God designed men to be. In one way, men are overly aggressive. When it comes to their sexual prowess, they're overly aggressive, and that's creating all kinds of problems in our culture. But yet on the spiritual side of things, men are too often and too easily relinquishing their responsibilities to their wives, to their mothers, and to other women in the church. We do not want to be a church where our men are giving up our responsibilities to someone else. And I don't believe we have a group of men in this church that want to be those guys. I think we have men in this church that want to take life by the horns. I believe we have a group of men in this church that want to be the spiritual leaders and the spiritual heads of their families. I believe we have a group of men in this church that are ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. We just got to point at what direction we need to go. And we're going to have... <laughs> Thank you for laughing, my Thank you. You just keep on going. We're going to have the strongest male discipleship. That's my determination. This men's ministry is going to be called the coalition. I don't have any time to tell you about that tonight. But in several weeks from now, I'm going to be preaching the message detailing the heart of this ministry and truly believe that God's calling us to do that. This ministry is going to be designed around six events for one year. We're focusing on this for one year to inspire men to walk with their, inspire men in their walk with God. And here's what I believe. Men, God is going to impact men in this community and in our church. This men's ministry is going to be done with excellence. We're going to do it with everything we have. We're going to do it right. The very first men's event that we're going to have is a three-gun shoot on April 25th with a competition. How many of you guys like to shoot things? All right, come on. Uh, can girls come? Huh? I don't know. We'll talk about that. This men's ministry is going to show how you can be masculine and still honor Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you can take a beating across your back, within an inch of your life and then still carry a 150-pound beam on your back to your own death, you're a man. And this idea of making Jesus out to be weak and feminine is a terrible portrayal of who the Son of God was. This men's ministry is going to help men. But we're not worried about just the men alone. The sisterhood has been a rock-solid ministry in this church. And I've already seen the legacy of that ministry impact in developing women in our church. It's done so well, honestly, that we as the guys, we're going to have to run pretty hard if we're going to catch up. But we're competitive, so we're going to, right? Okay. As women get together and they uplift and they encourage and they celebrate and they connect together, there's health there. I don't know how to minister to women adequately. Why? Because I'm a guy, okay? You're like, duh, I got that. And so there, there are different things that, that women in our culture are facing today that I don't know how to deal with. And I pr probably speak for all the guys in this room that we don't know how to deal with. But let me tell you something. 
There are power when you get around like-minded people, when you get around people who understand what issue you're facing, who have already been there, walked the path, and seen Jesus lead you through. And that's exactly what the, the sisterhood has done in this church. It's empowered women. It's shown who Jesus can be in their life, and it's inspired them in their own run. In a few weeks, February 21st, 1st, 21st, February 21st, you want to, man, I'm falling apart up here. You want to be here that night. Sisterhood event. I believe it's going to be right here in the sanctuary. Is that right, Miss Jamie? It's going to be right here in the sanctuary. You want to be. For all of our new people, the third area that we're going to focus on is Next Steps. Next Steps is an event that we're going to do throughout the year, probably every other month, but as God brings the increase, we can adjust that if we need to do it more often. Where new people come to the church, that we can get them plugged in into the next step that they need to take. When you come to a church for the first time, there's two questions you have. Number one, what ministry opportunities are there for me? And number two, how do I get connected and involved? And Next Steps is, is designed to do that. It's 45 minutes right after church service on Sunday mornings. Uh, the first one is going to be February 16th in the fellowship hall. Go in, and we're going to have it such a streamlined event that we can plug people into the body in discipleship and serving. Because we believe in Next Steps. Our goal for people is movement. It's movement. Movement into the body of Christ, movement into discipleship, and movement into serving. There's a lot of different parameters that you can have for quote-unquote success. I heard this guy saying the other day that he was talking to a pastor. He said, how do I you know, grow my church and how do I grow my increase? And the pastor looked at him and said, you're trying to use American standards in ministry and it doesn't work that way. We can't decide how many people show up. We don't know what the budget's going to look like. We can't determine the buzz. We can't do any of those things. But what we can do is encourage people and movement in their walk with Jesus. First, the movement to surrender their life to Jesus. And then to move into discipleship. There's a lot of discipleship opportunities that we have in this church. And we need to show people that it's there, that they can connect and plug into that. And movement into serving. Why? Because God created you for a reason. And he has gifted you for a reason. And we are called to use our gifts in the body of Christ. Movement. We need to make capacity in parking and in our services and leadership and discipleship. And the last thing is this. We need to build capacity in our finances. Our church is doing very well financially. We've been blessed to be able to minister to different people in a variety of ways. If you were at our business meeting, you heard what God did over this last year. Our, our turnaround, if you will, the bottom line from last year is basically this, is that the church uh, increased its savings by $33,000, and we were able to do around $33,000, $34,000 in ministry projects um, in the last uh, six months of last year. And here's what that does, is that gets the church where we're solvent, where we have uh, savings in the bank that would cover the operating expenses for about four months. We believe that that's a wise thing, is to have savings in there where who knows what happens, because if you start taking bids on a roof, that's expensive. Air conditioners here are expensive, right? Everything in a commercial building is expensive. It will just shock the life out of you when you find out what things cost. Why? Because we're a big facility. It's a big, beautiful campus, um, but there's a lot of different moving parts to that. And we believe that we need to be wise with the money that God has brought to us, that we need to be able to have a savings to be able to operate for whatever happens. But the thing of it is, is this, is that 
We have a beautiful building over here to our left where our kids meet every single week, uh, but there is some debt on that. And it's our heart and our passion that once we put this parking lot in, that we really focus on trying to pay off that debt as quickly as possible. And that creates capacity where we're not, we're not constantly having to worry about uh, different mortgage and principal payments to that building, but we're able to do some different things financially. We believe that we need to create that capacity. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. Those are the four areas that we believe we need to add capacity in 2020. Now, you might be sitting here saying, well, what will be the results of that, inc- of that capacity? What will be the increase? And the answer is, I don't know. When we live out our culture, when we create capacity, sky's the limit. I don't know what the outcome of that effort will be. It's not even our responsibility to know. Here's what I do know. It's been my observation that when people honor God and people do what God has called them to do, the result can be humbling. And I think we're going to be humbled to be a part of the life change of other people's lives. I think with smiles and there's going to be tears in the years to come remembering the life change that we see and are going to see in the next few months and years. I think we have brothers and sisters that are yet to be adopted into the family of God that we're going to be hosting in our homes and remembering the goodness of what God did in their life. There are going to be people that we're going to reach that are going to become family to you. They're going to become your best friends and you don't even know who they are yet. They're going to become your brothers and sisters in Christ and they're not even here yet. There are going to be people that we're going to reach in in the ministry for God that are going to go out into the world and do things that just blow our minds. Families and legacies are going to be changed. The future for different people are going to be rewritten. It might be your neighbor. It might be your loved one. It might be your husband. It might be your wife. We don't know. All we're called to do is be faithful. But you want to be a part of that. So how do you participate with us in the coming year? How do we move forward to create capacity? There's three things that every single one of us need to do. Three things. First is this. We need to live out the culture. Culture is what's brought us to this point. It's what's going to take us there. We as individuals, individuals, not on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, We need to value this word for our life. We need it feeding us. We need it nourishing us. We need to value our relationship with God. We need to value being spirit-led every single day with every person we come in contact with. We need to value the next generation of believers and disciples. And we need to say to everybody, welcome to our family. We need to be people who listen to the great commission of Jesus Christ, where as individuals, we are looking for opportunities to invite people to church. We're looking for opportunities to tell people about what Jesus has done in our life. As individuals, we need to take the commandment of the Lord serious because when we do that as individuals, God will make a difference in people's lives. Second, we need to pray about what God is calling us to give. I told you earlier to increase our parking lot was going to take around $60,000. We need to pray, God, what is it that you've called me to do? What is it you've called me to do? Charity and I were having this conversation yesterday. We are saying, okay, what, what do you think God's leading us to do? And we shared a number with each other, and we've agreed upon that number. We're talking about how we're going to make that happen for us. 
It's going to be a sacrifice for us. It's going to make us stretch a little bit. We believe that God calls us from time to time to stretch ourselves. And I'm not telling you that you have to do that necessarily, but here's what I am asking, that you just simply go to God and say, God, what would you want me to do in partnering and making this happen? Because here's what I know. When I look at that picture, I know this, that we have grown our church to its limit in our current setting. There's not one more thing we can do. You can't park in that grass. If you try, you will get stuck. It's too wet, it's too muddy. We need a parking lot. So for me and for charity, this isn't about asphalt. For me and my deacons, this isn't about asphalt. This is about opportunity. And so I'm asking you just simply to go to the Lord and say, God, what, what would you have me to do? The Bible tells us not to give out a compulsion. So I don't want to sit up here today and I don't want to try to guilt you into giving. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try to hype you into giving. What I'm asking you to do is just simply pray and say, God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to do? What part of this puzzle, what square footage of this would you like me to purchase? That's what Charity and I have done. I've asked you to do the same. Go to the Lord, I promise he'll guide you and he will also provide the way. The third thing I wanna ask you to do is I want you to commit to continuing to engage in serving. Going to two services might be like, okay, so how is that gonna work as far as our serving? Let me tell you this, we've figured it up and we have worked very diligently, if you've realized it or not, in increasing our volunteer base to this point. We don't believe that there's anybody who's going to serve every single week from now until rapture. If you serve somewhere, maybe, and you serve once a month, we might ask you to serve twice a month, where you can come and you can counter one service and worship, and then you can go serve in the second one. You can engage in your purpose that God has given you. But in the meantime, there could be just a little bit of a gap there, or maybe you're used to doing once a month, and we're going to ask you to do twice a month. Here's the prayer. The prayer is what going to two services creates opportunity and creates capacity where more people are going to come to Jesus. Maybe we get so many people that you go from serving once a month to every other month because we just got so many people. We got to find some place to plug them in. You don't know and I don't know. I promise you this. If we do those three things, we live out the culture of the Great Commission. We pray and give whatever God tells us and we serve with the best of our ability. I promise you God's going to do something in the house. Will you please stand with me this morning? want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second. Our opening chapter, Acts 8.8. So, there was much joy in that city. This morning, I was just simply going to ask you this. Church, we see where we need capacity, where we need increase. And I just wonder if we as a church can come to these altars if we can seek God and say, God, this morning I want to surrender myself to you. God, whatever you're calling me to do in order to reach more lost people, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part.